Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. A barbecue joint is proving that being dumb can be delicious. An update on the Charles McVitie affair with Martin Redcone from the Toronto Star and a disturbing update from Metrolinx. It has to do with mental health amid the pandemic. Let's get to it. I had no idea that being so stupid could be so delicious. Mmm! Who's hungry? We have an act of defiance underway in Etobicoke right now at a barbecue joint. I'm not going to name it. You know, I'm not even going to tell you what that. You can look it up if you want. Buddy gets on the old interwebs this morning. The owner of this barbecue joint says, I'm going to defy the law with some delicious sauce. I demand freedom! And a side of fries. And so, in contravention of the gray zone, I'm not going to call it a lockdown. It ain't a lockdown. Working for a lockdown. Get along, get along. It's not a lockdown, but that's another story for another day. The owner of this barbecue joint says, I'm going to open up anyway. Come on in, people. And in, the people come at 11 o'clock in the morning. They got no masks on. They say, I'll have I'll have the bylaw brisket, the bylaw enforcement brisket for me. And then they say, well, what would you like? The, the baby back ribs. Would you like that uh, a full or a half rack of infection with that? The pulled pork at this place now comes with a side of ventilator. That's disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Can I interest you in some of our ICU sausage? It's deadly. And don't forget about the sides. No, sir. We got the contagious coleslaw right here. Has a very, very high r not. We got the no-smell baked beans. And this is a bonus because you can eat the beans all day, but because you no longer have a sense of smell, eh, no adverse effects later. It's a win-win. And then, of course, we have the mac and hard-to-breathe cheese as a side. Moistly. All of that is going on right now. We're going to get you to Camille Caramali in just a moment. Let me know when Camille joins us. He's uh, at the scene, our global news reporter, who is at this barbecue joint, unnamed. This is going to lead the newscasts all day long. This guy. This delicious dunce. Because now it turns out that barbecue is the focal point that we have. You know, and all the anti-maskers and say, that, well, we need to be able to open the economic health comes first. <coughs> all this smoky. Wow. That is what's going on at that barbecue joint. And I have I have some issues here because here's why I'm not saying the guy's I'm not going to say his name of his restaurant. I know you can hear it in the news, but this guy goes on the interwebs and says I'm going to open up, and sure enough, every news camera in the city and surrounding neighborhood they all show up. There's it's an absolute just circus out there already. And the owner comes out and says, "Get off, my, get off my lawn!" It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You thought you wanted the attention, and of course, 
He is getting the attention, isn't he? Isn't he? You know what? You want to get on TV for free? Why don't you make a mask for somebody? Maybe, how about you donate some food to the food bank? We'll put you on TV for free then. Then we'll give you some free advertising. Camille Karamali, I believe, is on the line. Uh, Camille, delicious story that you picked up today. We're just getting him on the line here. We're we're patching him through. Uh, apparently, he's having a hard time holding on to his phone. Uh, his hands are all slippery. Hey, hey, Alan. Sorry about that. My phone died. You know it's winter when. Uh, it was, uh, it's been pretty chaotic, and I've been shooting videos on my phone, and uh, it's been quite uh, the messy scene here, but uh, I'm in my car now, just uh, plugged in my phone, so I'm, I'm with you now. You're, you're, you're with me. I, I saw some of your uh, video that you posted this morning as you shot from your uh, cell phone of those bylaw enforcement officers heading on the way in, and there's rage against the machine blaring in the background. Defiance! Uh, what happened after that? Then I, lo- then I lost contact with you. What happened after the bylaw officers went yeah, in? So, uh, I mean, Adam Skelly, the owner, uh, he seemed to be enjoying this full on. Like, he was going full on headbanger mode as Rage Against the Machine. I don't know if they timed it uh, that way or not, but as the bylaw officers were walking in, Rage Against the Machine was playing, and uh, Adam Skelly, the owner, was grinning ear to ear. Uh, you know, no remorse whatsoever. We spoke to this guy, or at least heard from him in April, because he used anti-COVID sentiments on Twitter, and uh, then he he got he was under fire for that, and so he apologized, said he's remorseful. Clearly, he isn't. He has set off um, something that it, it might be tough to stop today because it's turned into a flashpoint. Two sides with opposing views. There's people who are supporting. Adam Skelly here, uh, it's turned into an anti-mask, anti-lockdown rally. It's no longer just a small business owner opening his doors. It is, his back lot is full of people who are not wearing masks, who are rallying, chanting, holding signs. And then there's people on the other side of the street here who are kind of just yelling at them, telling them that they're going to catch COVID. Police are here in a large presence now. We saw three bylaw officers walk in. Now I'm, I'm seeing at least a dozen police officers. In fact, one of them, I got to give them credit, as we were about to go live for our noon show, um, one of the anti-maskers was like right up in my face, and, and it was it was uh, a startling few moments just as we were going live, but the police officer stepped in and, and you know, uh, kind of escorted him away. So things have been uh, getting quite, um, there's, a, there's a lot of conflict here, there's a lot of anger, and, uh, and I don't see this ending anytime soon today. Speaking with Camille Karamali, our global news reporter that is outside this barbecue joint that I am not going to name and not give any more free publicity to. But as you point out, this has now become a flashpoint and these anti-maskers are there and I'm I'm concerned for you. There's there's these guys with these people with no masks and they're coming right up at you and shouting at you? Yeah, absolutely. And Adam Skelly also came out to us and, and told us to get off his property. He said he's not gonna speak uh, on this topic. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's no consideration for social and physical distancing here or masks, at least with this large crowd that has grown to, I would say, at least 40, 50 people. And, uh, you know, we all have noon shows, uh, TV shows that we go live for, and that's when they all decided to try and jump into our shots and start heckling us. So it is getting pretty hairy out here. Luckily, the police are here in quite a large capacity. I also got to just paint you a little bit of an image, Alan. It's a really, really small back road here uh, with 
two lanes, uh, sorry, one lane going in each direction, uh, but it's very narrow and a very sharp, tight turn. So there's vehicles and trucks trying to get through, but there's uh, people amassing on the middle of the road here. So it is getting hairy, messy. And, and, and I'm, as I'm talking to you right now, I'm watching police officers guiding traffic, telling people to sort of go onto the curb here and into the almost into the ditch to try to get around these crowds here. Uh, seeing, wow, more bylaw officers just pulled up right now. So uh, they are coming in numbers. Inside, I'm looking through the windows right now at this establishment, and uh, now I'm seeing all the tables are empty. That's new to me because uh, just even a few moments ago when we were live for our noon show, there were people sitting on those tables. So it looks like, from what I understand, these bylaw officers are letting them finish their meals, and then they're closing things down because I'm, I'm not seeing too many people on the, on the tables anymore. So at this point, because I know this is all happening inside and you've been outside broadcasting, but we don't know if actual if actually any fines have been handed out yet. No, no. And I can see the owner right now, and he's uh, pacing back and forth. Uh, so he was previously speaking to bylaw officers and police officers. Now he just hugged uh, somebody, I'm assuming a friend or family member. That's not allowed. Uh, and, yeah, I know, that's not allowed. Not wearing masks, they're hugging and they're... They're shaking hands. He's welcoming uh, about three people and a little baby in a stroller inside. Nobody's wearing masks. So clearly these guys have a particular mindset when it comes to COVID-19 and that it's not uh, as serious as, uh, uh, you know, uh, other people believe. And uh, they're not doing any of the rules, including um, not uh, adhering to the indoor dining bylaws. I just want to ask you this real quick. And... And I, I struggle with this. I struggled with this at the beginning of the show. I struggled with this this morning. I think this guy's looking for publicity, and he's getting it. And I, I don't know. I, it's not like we can't cover it because it's newsworthy, and it's it's a flashpoint. But at the same time, he's kind of getting what he wants, and it ticks me off. Absolutely. And we, I'm sure you know, in the newsroom, were talking about this, just to give you a little bit of behind, or the listeners, a little behind-the-scene uh look at what we do but yeah we try to balance um you know uh, giving people publicity but also if it's something everybody's talking about and everybody already knows about this clearly with the large crowd sizes that have showed up here uh it's it's hard not to cover it but yeah i, ha- I mean as the media what do you do we're stuck between the ro- a rock and a hard place it is a newsworthy story just based on the volume of people that have showed up and the conflict that's taking place here. It's hard to ignore. But, yeah, this guy's getting what he wants, um, whether it's worth a potential $100,000 fine and a year in jail. Uh, only Adam Skelly can answer that. Kamel Karamali is our global news reporter who is at this, as I am unnaming it, unnamed barbecue joint. Mel, I appreciate that, and we'll watch for your story tonight on Global News. Thanks so much, Alan. I did not know that idiocy could be so delicious. When we come back, an update on the Charles McVitie story. New developments in the McVitie story that you absolutely must hear. Everyone get their wet nap. Who is Charles McVitie and why should you care? I talk about Mr. McVitie on this program quite regularly, and I have an update for you today. But to bring you up to speed, Charles McVitie is an evangelical Christian leader who is controversial, to say the least. That's a polite way of putting it. I'll get into that more in a moment. 
Mr. McVitie is the president of something called the Canada Christian College, which is a college in Oshawa. He is also a longtime friend and associate of Premier Doug Ford, and Mr. McVitie's support of Doug Ford helped Doug Ford win the leadership of the Progressive Conservative Party very narrowly over Christine Elliott. And in an omnibus bill dealing with red tape and the pandemic that was introduced in the House earlier this year, the Progressive Conservatives have put in an article, a section of it, that would allow Canada Christian College to grant degrees For example, you could get a degree in science from Canada Christian College if this goes through. When that was discovered, when people saw that in there, there was a lot of concern, consternation, and the government's response has been there is an independent process uh, that is looking at whether or not Canada Christian College should become an accredited university and Until that process is complete, we will not proclaim this bill into law. It's independent. It's got nothing to do with us, nothing to see here. Yesterday in the House, the NDP introduced a non-binding motion to condemn Charles McVitie, and that actually passed, which was a surprise to a lot of people because obviously the Conservatives have a majority in the House. And it passed... Because it's pretty clear that many on the PC side are not very comfortable with Charles McVitie and what it means to have their government associated with him. The National Council of Canadian Muslims sent a letter to the Premier and said, It is asking that your government chooses to condemn the extreme and hateful invective of Charles McVitie and to reverse your decision to make Canada Christian College into an accredited university. And this... From the House today, from the NDP. How can this government justify plowing ahead with a reward to Charles McBeady, the racist, the Islamophobe, the homophobe, the transphobe, when even their own MPPs are too ashamed to defend it? Thank you. That is from Question Period this morning. Martin Redcon is a columnist with the Toronto Star and has another story about Charles McVitie and some of his financial doings at Canada Christian College. Martin joins me on the line. Martin, let's begin with this. Why is it that the government, that Doug Ford, just doesn't want to back away from this? It seems like it's doing him no favors. Hi, Alan. It's it's hard to divine the true motives here. The, the the problem is that, as you point out, there is a long-standing friendship and relationship between Charles McVitie and Doug Ford. It's it's a it's a it's a story that happens again and again with the Conservative Party federally and the Progressive Conservatives provincially. People seem to believe that the path to winning the party leadership is through a a base of so-called social conservatives and that is that and, and Ford has been loyal to McVitie all along because of the the assist that he got the political IOU that he got when he launched his leadership campaign and was allowed to actually situate his campaign at the outset inside the campus in the boardroom and other facilities of Canada Christian College and so that's yet another indication of the ties that bind but as to why he doesn't unshackle himself 
from McVitie. That's a motive that, that, that attests to loyalty, perhaps misplaced loyalty, I might add, because really the premier's loyalty should be to the, pre, to the people of Ontario and also to his own caucus members. Because as you ask, why, why would he continue with this when many in his own caucus have told me that they are uncomfortable with this relationship, with this blessing that Ford has given the, the college, given that it's a fairly diverse caucus? with Muslims, with people of color, with gays in that caucus. Why would the premier continue with this? Uh, your column today looks at further financial dealings that Charles McVitie had with Canada Christian College. What have you found? Well, there's a pattern of non-disclosure and, and questionable financial maneuvering by the college. We've, we've worked with a forensic accountant to look at the filings, we contacted the Canada Revenue Agency, the tax authorities, to get the full paperwork behind his recent filings of the last 10 years or so. And what's interesting is that the loans that the, that the president, Charles McVitie, and his son, the vice president, Ryan McVitie, the loans that they had been taking out from the college, well, the loan to Charles McVitie was interest-free. For four years at least, there, there, these, these are six-figure loans which total more than eight hundred thousand dollars at a college that doesn't have always the best cash flow, and so there are indications that that the college, as an employer, was not filing to Revenue Canada in a timely way. The remittances, the the money that's withheld, the tax uh, income tax filings, the pension stuff, the uh, employment contributions, were not being were not being sent at the very time that loans were, were going out to the McVitie's interest-free, unsecured, no collateral. All very suspicious. And just briefly, it's not just about the finances. It's also about the fact that, that uh, the degrees that had been granted by Canada Christian College and counseling and Christian counseling and so on have not been recognized by the regulatory authorities in Ontario who have questioned the, the quality, the academic standards of the degrees, and even the transcripts have been seen to be untrustworthy. So you have to ask yourself, Alan, how are we going from a, from a Bible college to a full-fledged university that, as you say, would be granting BAs and BSCs, a Bachelor of Science, from a university whose president doesn't believe in evolution? I saw Ross Romano, who is the minister who gets to handle this file, and I don't envy him for that. Again, standing in the House in the government line is it is an independent process and that it is not showing favoritism and that the fact is that the reason that it is in the bill is so that it can be transparent and open. Your take on that? Well, why would you... It, 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 this is not the first time that we've we've had legislation that grants university status while awaiting an outside panel. But it's not a necessary process. And given that this college, well, what I'm saying is it's, it's an unusual procedure. You know, you don't yet have a rating and evaluation of the college. Why would you, why would you put it in a bill and make it the law of the land subject to, you know, let's get, let's get down in the weeds for a second here if you have the time. You know, so they won't, they're, they're saying the lieutenant governor won't proclaim it into law until the final evaluation is in. Why are we getting ahead of ourselves here? Why, why would we put this college, this, the, the, the cart before the horse, and leapfrog the regular process? Surely this is a long-shot application. Uh, I've spoken to people inside the, the, uh, the outside 
post-secondary quality assessment board. This is a process that takes many long months. It takes requires hiring lots of outside experts. Why are we putting them through the motions when it is fairly apparent that this college doesn't stand a chance? And I would say the answer, Alan, is that Premier Ford is repaying a political IOU and wants to be able to say to his pastor friend, hey, I did my best for you. I put it in the legislation. It was passed thanks to a majority whip that we used on my own caucus. Even though my own caucus doesn't like this, I made them vote for it. I made everyone in cabinet, people of color, Muslims, gays, they all have to vote for this. And it's a political IOU that's being repaid even though Doug Ford probably knows full well it's never going to happen because the outside board, the the quality assessment board, is never going to approve this. So then the play is, as you see it, and I I think this is the way I see it too, is that there is um, a belief within the government and within the premier's office that there's just no way this independent body, the PCAB, the PCAB will ever approve this. And then so when PCAB says no, then this issue kind of goes away. And yeah, it stinks and doesn't look good for the government right now, but it goes away. And then Doug Ford still manages to tick that box of repay Charles McVitie. That's it. I'm not sure I agree that it goes away entirely. I think the stench, part of the stench will remain. I think this is a this is an unforced error and it will hurt Mr. Ford's brand with his own supporters, who are not all Christian uh, 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 evangelical uh, people who don't believe in uh, evolution. I got to tell you, I get a lot of mail from God-fearing Christians, some of whom are even in the NDP, who uh, who have really no. Come on, to, they they hate Christians. To, I thought who who want nothing to do. They'll come to the, who want nothing to do with Charles McVitie, who consider him a very unChristian fraud and imposter. I think we have to make that clear. And a man who also put out a statement unsolicited saying that the NDP, the official opposition, is a party that hates Christians. Well, I can tell you there are a lot of ministers, a lot of preachers, a lot of pastors in the NDP, uh, most recently including Sherry DeNovo, uh, all kinds of Tommy Douglas, Stanley Knowles. So we're dealing with a very strange character here, and you have to wonder why the premier did this. And they are family ties. You know, he was, you know, not only did he help him launch his leadership campaign a couple of years ago, he invited Doug Ford down to a special Christmas celebration where where there were hundreds and hundreds of people from Canada Christian College cheering on Doug Ford on stage with his wife and with his brother-in-law, who's also a pastor. And so there is, there is, a, there is an affinity and a relationship there that is motivating Doug Ford that uh, that suggests that he isn't thinking about the big picture and his overall responsibilities to the province and to pluralism. Martin, we're going to have to leave it there, but I know we will be talking about this in the future. It is not going away. Martin, always great to have you on. Thanks again. Thanks, Alan. Take care. That is Martin Redcon, who is a columnist at the Toronto Star, talking about the Charles McVitie story. It's such an up and down these days, isn't it? You know, you one day there is an announcement of a lockdown, and then the next day there is updates on the vaccine and promising news about potential for the vaccine to be rolled out even before the end of the year, although pretty much everyone's estimation is before it would be widespread in Canada. We're probably looking well into next year, which means that it is quite possible that we are only halfway through all of this. Maybe just past the halfway mark. 
Now, I've said it before. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon when it comes to your mental health, and you got to be prepared. And you don't just set off on a marathon with no training. And so, therefore, you have to be concerned about your mental health. All of us have to do it. All of us have to ask questions about ourselves, and we have to ask questions about the people around us. And sometimes we don't like talking about it. We don't talk about it much in the news, I'll tell you that. One of the things in the news that we don't cover, you may know, is suicide. There's some good reasons for that. There are concerns about whether it would trigger more. There are concerns about whether this is a private tragedy. I would encourage you to do what I did today when thinking about suicide, and that is to go to camh.ca. It's a great resource. I read a lot today about even the way to talk about suicide in ways that I have talked about it in the past that are just not correct anymore. And we got to think about the way we use words around suicide. The reason I'm talking about this today is, you know, our mental health is important. So it's important to have these conversations and to talk to me a little bit more about this. And I'm so pleased to have her on the program is Anne-Marie Akins, who is a senior manager of media at Metrolinx. Hi, Anne-Marie. Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me on. I noticed recently that you had some tweets and talking about um, suicides and what's been happening uh, with Metrolinx uh, and the rail lines. We have had. Uh, it's not something that's the first time for me to talk about. I, we have uh, at Metrolinx, uh, we have a suicide intervention committee, and we made a commitment number of years ago to talk more openly and to learn more about how to talk about it safely as you did today and uh, there are ways um, to talk about it safely that doesn't encourage people to feel ashamed or too afraid to talk to other people because silence encourages that um, and you, you, you and I both take transit. So we, we've been on a subway, we've been on a train, we've been on, and we know when um, somebody takes their life, but nobody really, really talks about it. And um, so we know it. It's not like people aren't thinking about it. So I think it's important for us all, as you said, very, you know, rightly said at the beginning of, of this discussion was how important it is for us to talk about our mental health, all of us. Uh, and and to take care of each other right now, we're going through a very difficult time. So, so we've uh, in the last week have had uh, less than a week. It was four or five days. We had four um, people that had attempted to, who might have died by suicide. One uh, uh, did not end their life, and they are left with catastrophic injuries. Three did successfully end their life. And, uh, and the impact that that has on so many other people, it's important for us to talk about. I agree 100%. And we don't do a good job about it. And, and I look directly at my industry for that. Uh, and I am thankful for the help of places like CAMH that, and one of the things that I read today, you know, talking about language is sometimes when we encounter something where we're told, well, you know, this language is not correct or this th- this is the way to talk about it, is that we just decide to turtle and not talk about it at all. And the CAMH website clearly says, it says, you know, you're human. You're going to mm-hmm. make mistakes. 
the 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 point of this is we got to have the conversation and we have to be looking out for each other especially during this incredibly tough time where we're heading into the winter it's dark it's depressing and we have to be able to have these conversations exactly i think you're absolutely right that we have to have these conversations and we did here uh, a number of years ago, and we trained our staff to have conversations about it and to to um, uh, to be able to intervene because uh, it, there are often signs, and you can see when people are in distress when they're thinking about it and how to intervene safely. No one wants to cause any more harm, and I think that's where the media were coming from. It was a, a place of not wanting to cause any harm, and it was a fearful place. And so it takes us, all of us a lot of courage just to be open and honest and talk about it uh, and, and for other people to help give us the language in order to talk about it. So, so we did that with our staff and, um, and uh, all of the staff that are involved in investigations are all trained. And, you know, those, those staff that are behind uh, the wheel of a train when this happens, uh, we have to support them um, and uh, all of our staff that perhaps might witness something or have to relive uh, it through uh, video images and so forth. So there's so much to do and so much what we can do that uh, we have, uh, we partnered with an organization called Connex Ontario, which has a 24-hour line. We have hundreds of signs out throughout our network at stations all along our corridors for people to call. So it's important that people reach out. One of the numbers you can call is 1-866-531-2600. So that, that's if you, you're, you're thinking about suicide, you're thinking about uh, how much distress you're in, um, that's a number to call. But we also have another number that we put out for people because you and I, and we can make, we can make a difference. And sometimes people have said, when they have survived a suicidal thought, they said what made a difference to them is somebody reached out to them. They just said, are you okay? Um, do you need help? Do you need to talk? And, um, and so we have, um, or, or they might not know what to do. So we put out, what we put out was our transit safety dispatch was another 24-7 number. And that's for people to call to say, I think there's a, there's a person here at this station that's in distress. I think they might be thinking about it, and I can't reach them, and or I don't know what to do. And our transit safety officers um, will will intervene. They can turn on the camera for that area and look for the person. So that's another number I want people to write down. If you happen to be in a, a go transit station, is one eight seven seven two nine seven zero six four two. Again, that's a 24-7 number, uh, and if we have time, we'll repeat those numbers, but um, it's really important. That's one of the responsible ways to talk about suicide is to also talk about that people can survive this, and there are places that uh, it can get you help. Emery, it's an important uh, subject, and I really appreciate you coming on and talking about something that is, is difficult to confront, but we absolutely must. Thanks again. Thank you, Alan so much. That is Anne-Marie Akins, who's the uh, Senior Manager of Media uh, for Metrolinx.
And she gave a couple of numbers there. I'm, I'm wary of overloading you with numbers. I will give out the CAMH, C-A-M-H dot C-A website again, because on there, there are links to a number of other resources. And I just love the new campaign by CAMH, which is not today. Not today. You know, if you know somebody who suffers from mental illness, you know that not today is important. You know, you know, every day is a victory. So what does uh, the Mayo Clinic say about helping people with depression, with suicidal thoughts? Well, what it says is that laughter truly can be the best medicine. It depends what kind of laughter, but humor can really help. So let's go there to finish the show today, shall we? I combed the internet for some of the best, best dad jokes I could find. And in fact, in my house, I'm, I'm not just guilty of the dad jokes, but I am guilty of a subset of dad jokes called anchor jokes. That is a subset of dad jokes that are actually worse than dad jokes. And so, in an interest of raising maybe some endorphins and put a smile on your face, here we go. Uh, I went to the zoo the other day, and there was only a single dog in it. It was a shih tzu. It was a shih tzu. (laughs) Uh, Police arrested two kids yesterday. One was drinking battery acid. The other one was eating fireworks. So police charged one and let the other one off. Okay. It's a tough uh-huh. one. <laughs> thank, thank you, Kawhi. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, did you hear this in the news? That uh, coronavirus, because of the pandemic, more and more Canadians are packing on the pounds. Turns out we're all heavier. Yeah. So I've decided to go on a strict whiskey diet. A strict whiskey diet. I've lost three days already. Whoo! Man! I got barbecue sauce all over me! (laughs) Okay, all right. I got... got, All right. The pain will end shortly. I have one more. One more. Okay? We go on the anchor joke subset of dad jokes. You know, I went to buy some camouflage pants the other day. Couldn't find any. Aha! So there you have it. Some terrible, horrible, not very good jokes to end a tough discussion. And of course, keep on top of it news-wise today. That's what we do here on Global News Radio. The DOFO Show is coming up. And we'll keep you up to date what's going on at that barbecue joint in Etobicoke where being dumb is tasty. That's the podcast for today. Don't forget, the Alan Carter Show is live weekdays starting at noon. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. 
Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.